How's it going, everyone? Welcome to episode 78 of Fear Frequency. I'm your host, Jimmy Champagne, and as always, I'm joined by George Frizzard. What's going on? Nothing, dude. This was the longest short week ever. <laughs> it was so long. Just so much stuff to do. Yeah, and we ridiculous. got uh, big plans coming up, too, next week. Oh, yeah. So for my Instagram and YouTube channel, I got invited to the halloween horror nights media night and i got two tickets so i was like george you want to fly out to la and go to the halloween horror nights thing with me and he was like yeah i do so george (laughs) is coming out next week we'll do a a real in-person episode uh so that'll be fun yeah i get to see uh the halloween horror nights for the first time you could see everything it has to offer it's actually really cool I love Halloween Horror Nights. Yeah, from, it is so much fun. From what you were saying with the the stuff you went through last year, it sounds like the mazes are pretty sweet. Yeah, this year it has a Rob Zombie themed scare zone. <laughs> like not his movies, <laughs> like his music. It's Rob Zombie themed. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, so that should be pretty cool. Uh, we'll be, I'll be posting on my Instagram the entire time I'm there, and my Twitter. You can see some cool pictures and videos on that. But it's gonna be a lot of fun. We're gonna uh, have really cool trip with george out here in la next week and then in this week's episode we're reviewing it chapter two but before we get into that do we have any new emails or reviews um no new emails and we're still sitting at uh 68 reviews on itunes we're slowly climbing our way up to 100 maybe we'll hit 100 (laughs) reviews before 100 episodes you never know (laughs) if you want to um write into us and leave us an email or like a review you can hit us up at fearfrequencypodcast at gmail.com george it's been two weeks every horror game came out i know (laughs) in the past week what have you been playing uh so i beat man of medan the man of medan that's such a bad name for a game yeah it's like, I, what does that mean? I kept forgetting it, and I it's weird because it has no relevance to the plot of the game, so I, I'm still kind of confused where that name comes from. Uh, the boat is called the Orang Medan, but who is the man of Medan? <laughs> but who is the man of Medan? Is it the one cult guy you see one time? Who is it? <laughs> um, <laughs> That's funny. But I, I, I thought that was pretty fun. Uh, another game from the people who brought us um, until dawn, I felt that this was like, not, like not significantly worse in any way. Just like roughly on the same level as until dawn, um, but it was cool. It's a fun horror game, same kind of style. Make the decisions, plays the different characters. Uh, I played it co-op in the like movie mode or whatever they call it. So that was actually a, a cool addition. I think that's kind of the big landmark feature they added where. You and a friend or multiple people can pick a character to play as, and then as they rotate through the story, you kind of hand off the controller, which was, I thought, kind of a cool addition. Yeah, that's cool. We both got review keys for it for PS4, but I didn't want to play it on there because I heard there was technical glitches, so I just bought it on PC. Uh, I thought it was just like a $30 Until Dawn sequel, but it was kind of weird that they give you an option to get rid of the only noteworthy actor in the game within the first act of the story. <laughs> and that's like the correct way to do it, apparently, to like let Sean Ashmore get off the boat and then just peace out for the rest of the game. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> I, the performances were all right. I really liked exploring the ship 
it was cool how they kind of reused environments in that way. Uh, once you get on the ship is where it really picks up. But for like, people are acting like this is such a like worse experience than Until Dawn. It's like it's half the price and has better graphics. It controls better. Like I don't know. I'm I'm into this whole Dark Pictures anthology thing they've got going on. The next one's like Silent Hill and Blair Witch themed. Yeah, I'm so really looking forward. I'm, to I'm the pretty next stoked one. for that. Uh, I mean, not that this one is bad or anything. Like I would I would still say if you're at all interested in those style of games, like the Until Dawn or Heavy Rain or anything like that, I would say definitely pick this one up. I mean, like you said, it's it was the- like a okay start. It, like it was a good start. It, I feel like they should have started with a more like overtly horror. Uh, story than like a summary let's go on vacation on a spooky ship story you know like that feels like a middle chapter to yeah me more than a yeah i mean uh, it, it than an opener like it's probably not the strongest chapter in their anthology series or at least i would hope not um yeah i hope not I, it was it was like good enough it just wasn't great it, yeah i mean was, until dawn wasn't great either though like story-wise until dawn was unremarkable you know yeah. like it was a just very standard story yeah i, I mean I th- it did enough for me to where it proved the worth of this anthology going forwards and i'll continue to play all of them as they come out yeah it seems like they're going for a vibe of an early 2000s horror movie more oh, like yeah. saw you know just yeah. from the intro and everything <laughs> I love and i think intro. there's definitely room for that it's weird because you know the horror genre in games is just obsessed with remaking shit that came out in the '90s <laughs> and av- advancing in that way. So, I mean, like I I like what they're doing. I hope that they kind of get better as they go along, though, because th- there was nothing about this better or worse significantly than Until Dawn. You know, this just felt like yeah. more Until Dawn. So yeah. I hope that they can figure out a way to make it more good and fun. Yeah. Um, but, but other than that, I played the Blair Witch game. I also played that. Uh, you you know how every time I bring up the Blair Witch, I'm like, man, people just fundamentally misunderstand what that universe is about and what's going on in it. <laughs> and nothing proves that more than what people are saying about the game. They're like... <laughs> I don't understand why you're walking in circles and why the time is altered. That's nothing like the movie. It's like, you are so (laughs) wrong. It's not even funny. But I don't know. Like the woods, the way that they built out the woods was perfect. They nailed it. It's just like it should be. Uh, The whole thing with the witch in that game, the the backstory they've come up with for the character Ellis is kind of whatever, you know? Yeah, I mean, that's like my biggest complaint. It's being used in the right way. But it's just not good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the the whole, like, PTSD angle with him just feels, like, really weird against the Blair Witch backdrop. All the scenes of when that comes into play are just, just sort of weird. Um, it's kind of dumb because, you know, like, the whole story, right, is that Ellis is going into the woods to find this kid who's lost. Right. Um, but he has PTSD from being in the war. But the other angle is that he killed this kid's brother. Right. That angle was enough. They could have just focused on that. Like how they could have made him a cop instead right. of a soldier. Right. He could have just been a disgraced cop, lost his badge because he killed someone and kind of couldn't handle it. And now he's trying to go for his redemption and go save the kid's brother. Like to, that's enough. But I guess, I mean, even if they cut out all the PTSD sequences, I think that would have made the game a lot tighter. Right. 
It does really reward you for knowing what's going on in the Blair Witch universe, though, which I really liked. Because you, it's the first Bluebird team game to have combat. You have the flashlight. It's sort of like Alan Wake, yeah. where the tree monsters come after you and you shine your light on them to kill them. But if you know what's going on in the Blair Witch Project, you're like, I don't want to kill these guys because uh, they're people. That <laughs> They're like people transformed by the witch, you know? Like, right. So the best, the only way to really get the good ending is to not kill any of them. Um, I, I was like having too much fun with the flashlight, so I killed them all, but I want to play it again. They really just knocked it out of the park in terms of exploration and scares. It was just technically a little jank. Like I, I got some weird scripting issues where I couldn't pick things up or I had to go back to the menu to get a, the the story to advance and everything. And I don't, Mm -hmm. I don't like that stuff in a game. That was, that was really annoying. Yeah, I didn't really have any... Did you have anything like that? I didn't have, like, technical issues. I mean, there was definitely some parts where it was, like, running kind of choppy, or I'd have dips here and there, which seemed kind of weird because the game doesn't look very good, so I don't know, you know, like, how demanding it it should be. Were you on Xbox or PC? Yeah, I played it on on my One, my One X. Oh, I played it on PC. Graphically, it looked, like, fucking awesome. I was playing it in 1440p, yeah, like, the textures were all great. And like just the way it looked, it looked like real at times. I I play the PC port was good. It was just having scripting issues, which I don't get. It's yeah, like, that's the one um, thing that needs to work. Yeah, I mean, it's only like a four-hour game, so I mean the pacing issues aren't that bad. I thought a lot of the walking sim like puzzle solving stuff was actually pretty cool and inventive. I like the the whole tapes feature where you're rewinding those to like place things in the environment was cool uh, it just feels like i don't know it felt like some of the blair witch elements were just kind of like tacked on like as if they had the idea for like just a horror game in the woods and then kind of morphed it into a blair witch game but yeah it was like they knew they had to follow the rules but they didn't really want to right that's kind of what it felt like but they did a good job with it and exploring rustin parr's house at the end was awesome yeah, i loved that that, that, that was, was really cool. cool like the soundtrack is also really good and I don't know. I, I think, like, as far as Blair Witch stuff goes, it's probably the second best thing after the first movie. It, it's, like, it gets the lore. It You know how the Blair Witch movie from 2016 kind of backloads all the lore shit? Right. And everything like that. Like, everything happens towards the end. This game did a better job at spreading it across. And it really rewarded you for going off the beaten path and, like, listening to your dog and stuff like that. And making you walk in circles to and ignore the witch. That's right. really cool. Like, that's what they... I, I wasn't expecting them to know how to do that or to do it. And I was excited when, like, Bullet gets hurt and you can walk in the circles. It's like, you're supposed to feel like you're breaking the game when that happens because, like, the witch is trying to get you to do one thing. You know, it's right. like the witch is trying to get you to get rid of the dog. And you're supposed to feel like you're, it's like, is something going to happen if I just keep <laughs> right. walking in circles? I really like that. Yeah, and the dog was an awesome element. I thought all those, like, actually playing with the dog was actually a really cool fun way to play the game i i really like that uh part of it right so i've just seen people complaining they're like i don't understand why you have to see the same areas twice so like walk in circles it's not like the movie it's like no you don't know what the movie is (laughs) and people don't like to hear that but it's people oh the original blue witch project is just about getting lost in the woods it's like no you're wrong actually it's like it's so weird how it 
people act like they it's like these people say that Blair Witch is like one of their favorite movies. Like Blair Witch Project is one of my favorite horror movies of all time. They they don't even care to know anything that's going on in it. It's like what the fuck? Yeah, blows but, my mind. Uh, I would definitely recommend that, especially if you have uh, the Game Pass Ultimate because it's free on there. So yeah, it's it all. A, yeah, it's on Game Pass. So yeah. like, just play it. Definitely. Uh, it, it's like four hours long. Both of those games are pretty short. Between that and Man and Medan, I liked Blair Witch a lot more. Man and Medan, I was like, I had fun playing through it, but I was like, I have to beat this in one sitting because I know I won't come back if I stop playing this. But Blair Witch, I, I played it over a couple days, and I was like, this this is what I wanted. Yeah, I mean, I think but I, I beat Blair Witch in like two sittings. My first sit down, I played up until the last chapter, and then my second time I sat down, I finished it, so... It, it definitely I love the minecart puzzle. Which one? The minecart puzzle. Oh, yeah. I that thought was that was fun. really cool. Was when cool. you're going through that whole mining village and the tape you get in there is really sweet. Yeah. And that they called it the like Tabby Creek uh, mining thing, which is a really cool little deep cut. Uh, but another game I played. So last week I got to go out to Vancouver um, to the Coalition's studio and play a lot of Gears 5. I got to play Horde Mode, and I played a part of Act 2 of the story. But Horde Mode, dude, Horde Mode's a real deal. That shit's awesome. I, I was playing, it's five people, and but one person, you need someone to play as Jack, who, you know in Gears you had the robot that opened the door? Yeah. In every Gears game? He's a character now that has RPG elements in the story. So he gets abilities like... He can cloak you, he can res you, he can shield you, he can do a pulse that shows you all the enemies on the map, he can do a like flash that's like a flash grenade bomb, like bomb type deal. He's a character in horde mode and he is secretly the best character. They like wanted someone that like anyone could play as, so like if you're just playing with someone who doesn't play video games, it's like mm-hmm. playing as Jack is really fun because you can give people boosts. Like if you, left trigger for him is a buff for damage and then right trigger is heal. So you can kind of keep people alive in the horde mode, which was great because someone from the coalition was playing as him for us. So he was just basically like life support. It was so good. They also added in three new characters from not Gears. They have Kat and Emil from Halo Reach, who are arguably the best characters in horde mode. Uh, uh, Emil, I think, is an engineer, so he's great with, like, laying down traps and, like, the ammo generator and everything like that, and Cat is just fucking cool. Like, it's weird how good they both look with, uh, Lancers and Nashers and shit, <laughs> like, it just works. Right. Because <laughs> they changed their armor a little bit to make them fit into gears, but it's like, you're playing as Halo Reach characters, which is awesome. And then Sarah Connor's in it from... Yeah. Terminator Dark Fate, and she kicks so much ass. She's, like, really good for Horde because her, everyone has ultimate abilities now. I don't know if that was in 4, but everyone has, like, an ultimate ability and, like, a card deck. So your skills are assigned by, like, using a, like, deck of skill cards that you get for, like, leveling up these characters. Sarah Connor's ult, she gets knockback and double damage, which is just insanely good in Horde. And then the T-800 is a character in versus mode so if you're playing on the horde side you can be uh the t800 which is awesome and dave batista's coming yeah that's cool too (laughs) also the story mode in this game i really like three three is probably my favorite one out of all the gears games that i played which is everyone except judgment uh this one is definitely like way more like three but it also has 
open world sections in Act 2 and 3 where you use the skiff to kind of get around. And there's like, there's not a lot to do in the open world, which is fine because it's a Gears game. There's just like little distractions. Like it's like, oh, you explore this building and every single side mission you do, you get something really good out of it. Like they have relic weapons now that are just like, there's like the first relic weapon you get is a relic long shot and it has like a cool skin on it. Um, and the relic perk on it is that when you do the perfect reload, you get two shots in the chamber and the second bullet is generated. So it's not like it's taking from your ammo. Mm -hmm. So they have relic weapons that all have special perks and the skiff has two weapon storage slots on it. So if you like pick up a like a relic weapon and you don't want to really get rid of it, you can just go put it on the skiff and it'll stay there like on the weapon slot, which is great. Um, and it just runs really well. I'm playing at 1440p Ultra, and it's running at, like, 90 frames per second. Yeah. It's apparently, like, one of the best Unreal Engine 4 games, optimization-wise. It's, it's insane. Like, they really went all in on it being a platform. Like, it's shipping with a free battle pass, and they're doing seasons and stuff like that. It, this is, like, the best Xbox One exclusive package-wise. Like, this is standing up to a Sony PS4 exclusive. Finally. They finally <laughs> figured that out. And it's really cool. Yeah, uh, I've only played the first level of the campaign so far. Um, preloaded it, and I just wanted to kind of check it out. Uh, but so far, I'm, I'm impressed. It starts really strong. Like, you go back to Azura. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah. shit, this is from Gears 3. This is fucking awesome. Set up the big um, Hammer of Dawn satellite and stuff. It's just, give you like a, it gives you a recap of Gears of War 4. You know. Oh, yeah, the, the like previously on yeah. Gears. Yeah, 4 was good. But, like, when you watch the previously on Gears that gives you the recap of 4, it covers about, like, one act of another yeah. Gears game. You know, like, right. like nothing really happened in 4. It's like, 4 ends just when it gets good. When yeah. Kat, or Kate has that little medallion with the Locust Horde logo on the back. It's like, right. no, I want to know what's going on there. Like, what? You can't introduce that and leave it on a cliffhanger? Like, what the fuck? Yeah, it has, like, one act of content over five acts, basically. Yeah. We played through that. And I barely remember it. And, I don't know, everyone got, like, a voice acting bump in this game. Like, JD is cool now, <laughs> which he was not at all in 4. Marcus is still great. Dom, uh, Baird is really cool, somehow. Like, they figured out how to make Baird a character. So, overall, like, it's on Game Pass. So, like, yeah, which is it's, insane. like, the cheapest game ever right now. <laughs> you can just play it. But, uh... I, if, if you don't want to get Game Pass for some reason, it's totally worth buying. Yeah. And and they always run those promotions where it's like a dollar for your first month or for yeah, the first like three months or something. Yeah, like spend Games Pass yeah. Ultimate and then play Gears 5. Uh, the escape mode is also really cool. It's like three-player co-op. Every week they're going to rotate out the map. So it's like a dungeon where you go in and you have to plant a bomb on the nest and then like fight your way out. And if you you get rewards based on where you place on, on the leaderboard every week, which is awesome. Yeah, I mean it's all cool. They've obviously figured out like what they should do to have a big exclusive that's actually going to bring people in, and to have it on Game Pass is kind of unheard of. So I, I think they're they're doing it right, and I'm excited. To play I hope some this more is like the worst of the xbox exclusives going <laughs> forward because this is like a good starting point like this right. this game actually feels like an xbox exclusive you know like it feels like it got microsoft money which is good it needed that yeah definitely um that's all the games i've been playing 
I watch a ton of movies. I watch this new movie called, uh, what the fuck? Oh, ba- Gags the Clown. Did you see this? Uh, you I, s- I sent you, you sent like, the, the trailer, trailer for but it. I, haven't, I didn't watch it yet. Like, objectively speaking, it wasn't great. It's a found <laughs> footage movie that uses, like, security cam. It's It does a lot of the shit where that found footage shouldn't do anymore. Like, the cameras glitch, which doesn't happen, like, in real life. <laughs> So they should stop doing that. But the clown stuff was actually pretty creepy. I I was having a lot of fun watching it. And for like a cheap, like low budget found footage clown movie that takes place in Green Bay, Wisconsin. Like it was funny. I think it was worth watching. Um, It's two bucks to rent it. So overall, like I feel like ripping on it too hard would be punching down. So I don't know. I thought that was kind of fun. I got a lot of Satan's uh, Little Helper. A lot of clown content right now. Yeah, Yeah, that's... We have gags. We have yeah. the Joker coming out. We have this movie we're going to talk about later with Wrinkles the Clown. I think like all these movies got put into production like three years ago, right? Like someone yeah. was like, "Oh, I got to do my creepy clown movie. I got to start writing it because it's happening." And then now they're finally all trickling out, <laughs> which is funny. But uh, yeah, I hear Doctor Loomis dying again. We got a big Halloween alert this week. So first up, we got some casting news. They're just like announcing casting after casting. Uh, the most noteworthy ones are Anthony Michael Hall, who's the kid from The Breakfast Club, and he's in National Lampoon's Vacation. He's playing Tommy Doyle. They're bringing him back. But Kyle Richards is coming back to play Lindsay Wallace, so she's reprising her role. And, uh, there's Robert Longstreet from The Haunting of Hill House is playing a grown-up Lonnie Elam. He's the, the one where people are like, why is he coming back? It's like, he's the only one who really has a reason to come back, because... Allison's boyfriend, who's still alive, is that guy's kid. Right. So, like, he was directly connected to the most recent movie. Yeah. Um, I I think it's going to pick up right after the end of last year's movie, and Laurie's going to get taken to a hospital, and Tommy's going to be a doctor. I feel like that's the best way to introduce him. And a lot of people think that Lindsay is going to get killed at the very beginning. And I'm like, yeah, that that makes sense to me. Yeah. I, I mean, I could see something where there'll be something Michael's retracing his steps going back to people that he tried to kill on the initial night or saw on the, his first night out and so he's revisiting all these characters um i i mean it's cool well, i think up. they're going to i think they're going to find him because this Michael doesn't give a fuck about who he's killing he's like just killing whoever encounters him but I think what's really going on is that they're going to find his body or whatever in the house, the rubble of Lori's house, because they've been casting for firefighters and they're going to either like bring him to the hospital where Lori's at or something and they're going to encounter each other or there's going to be a time jump and he's going to come back next Halloween and Lori's going to be like, oh shit, my house burned down. I don't have any of my guns. I don't have any of my <laughs> ammo. I need to like assemble the Halloween Avengers of people who uh, fucking faced michael myers x 41 years ago right and also the the working title for the movie right now is mob rules so i feel like haddonfield is going to be hunting down michael and at least halloween kills but regardless it's cool yeah it's different i don't know what's going on that's the best part it's like i can't guess what's going to happen in this movie which i love right like you're saying it's obviously all speculation but that's kind of the fun of it you know like they trickled up trickle this little hints and information to us so we can kind of try to figure it out from there but you know they they obviously have good writers and everything at the helm everyone's coming back for it they have obviously big ideas that 
aren't obvious or played out since we're still speculating about what it could possibly be. So uh, I'm excited. It, it's going to be cool to see kind of how they incorporate these characters back into the fold. Right. I'm I'm just really, really curious about how they're going to pick up after the end of the last movie. You know, like with what happened to Michael. Yeah. I, mean, just, a, I really want to know what's going on there. <laughs> it's obviously a big question mark. I mean, are they going to pull like a Halloween 4 where he's all burned up on the stretcher and then they take him into the hospital and he wakes up and starts his killings, his kills again? Or, or are they going to try something different? So people are really mad that... Um, you know, like, uh, Kyle Richards played Lindsay Wallace in the first movie and Lori is played by the same person. They're bringing back all these people. Like, you know, Nick Castle is back again. People are really pissed that Brian Andrews, the kid who played Tommy Doyle in the first movie, isn't playing him again. And there's like a petition now to get him to play him, which obviously is like never going to happen. I don't care like at all. I'm sure they asked him and he said no, but that guy has like basically stopped acting. It's like I don't I don't want a movie that's like a full of consolation actors and roles, you know? Like <laughs> right. it's like get real actors to play the parts. Like Kyle Richards has never stopped acting. She's at least consistently acted on um Housewives of Beverly Hills, that's like her main gig, but she's been on a ton of TV shows. She's been in a bunch of movies. Like, she's an actress, you know? Right. And for some reason, yesterday, a bunch of websites reported that Robert Longstreet was like coming back to play Lonnie, but he did not play him in the first movie. I was like really surprised that I saw so many sites saying, like, OG actor is back. It's like, no. That's not not the guy who played (laughs) Lonnie in the first movie. I don't know where you got that info, but uh, you're wrong. It's just weird how, like, people are so obsessed with getting the story out that, like, it's like they're not doing their research. But there's a ton of actors who aren't the original actors coming back. I don't understand why the sticking point is Brian Andrews, who doesn't act. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) mean, it's not even that, like, the first movie... He has such a stellar performance that you'd want to have him back or anything. I mean, you know, it's so low budget. All the kid actors are basically just, you know, whatever. It's, it's not like... If you read... I got to find the change.org thing. It's so funny. Also, sorry, everyone. Um, I, I was, like, super sick last weekend. So I have a cough now. So, yeah. Brian Andrews, they did a change.org... Uh, petition for him and it reads like a joke (laughs) okay i'm gonna read it blumhouse has brought back jamie lee curtis with lee spelled wrong charles cyphers who is not confirmed to be coming back and nick castle to reprise the roles they originated in halloween 1978 yet they have the audacity to recast the pivotal role of tommy doyle for halloween kills rather than casting the iconic brian andrews to again recite unforgettable lines like but you can't kill the boogeyman the boogeyman's outside and was that the boogeyman producers for some inexplicable reason have have cast anthony michael hall to play tommy doyle in the new films as halloween purists we find the decision to be outrageous audacious and wildly offensive and we must take a stand and so we demand Producers bring Brian Andrews back to the Halloween franchise and 
486 people have signed it, George. <laughs> I mean, I don't know why anybody signs any petition. They don't mean anything. <laughs> right. But it, and it's it's a weird it's hill so, to die on. It reads on. like a joke. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's like, here are these four <laughs> lines that are three words long, and one of them is boogeyman. So like thirty, like thirty-three percent of his dialogue is just one word, and you think you need to bring back this guy who doesn't even act to say that again? It just doesn't make any sense. I feel like they just wrote all three of his lines in that change that thing. Like nothing against Brian Andrews. I don't know the guy. I don't know who he is. But like, let people do their jobs. It's like it's like you're literally by doing these change.org petitions. It's like walking into a hospital and saying like telling a doctor how to do their job you know like let the casting director do their job the people who are making movies know how to make movies just let them do it obviously there's a reason they cast someone else to play this character just get over it right especially there's always something going on yeah especially when it's an actor that actually has experience and credits and might be playing like a decent role in the upcoming movie and you don't want to just hand that off to some guy who played a kid in the 70s (laughs) who's <laughs> you know right and you know adult now you have no idea if he's been acting or what he's up to it just seems like that's a strange hill to die on yeah so the next halloween news is that we're getting an expanded vinyl of halloween 2018 score from john carpenter his son and his godson it's coming out on october 18th and it actually has 28 minutes of new and extended material from last year's movie and the cover for it is really cool it's like the the shape with fire burning behind him i i'm gonna pre-order this i really want it yeah i think um they have a either all the vinyls come like this or they're doing some where there are orange vinyls with like black dots in them or something i thought i saw yeah uh looks really cool like i like even the design of the actual records themselves so you know, if you missed out on getting those special editions last year, it seems like this is definitely the version to get. Which I did. Um, I really want them to release the longer version on digital platforms, though, because I want to hear the longer versions of these songs, especially if they have one for the Shape Hunts Allison or something. That'd be sweet to have the longer version of that that's not 45 seconds. Yeah. Um, and I assume they will probably release something at some point, but... Yeah, no, they'll all, have to do an extended version. Yeah, I, but it is cool that we're getting, you know, another cut of this that's even longer, and we're going to have, you know, even more music coming from these three for the next two movies as well. Yeah, so that's it for the Halloween update. Um, Christopher Landon, the guy who directed Happy Death Day 1 and Happy Death Day to you, he is not doing Happy Death Day 3 because that sequel did not make a ton of money but his next movie is a body swapping horror film starring vince vaughn and it sounds really cool it sounds like dark freaky friday the synopsis is after swapping bodies with a deranged serial killer a young girl in high school discovers that she is less than 24 hours before the change becomes permanent which i like that concept alone sounds great to me i i I think that'll be cool yeah and especially you know, we've seen this director work with, you know, like a young female lead before in Happy Death Day and Happy Death Day to You, and it worked out really well. So, I mean, having another kind of fun, interesting body swap, you know, like weird rules horror movie with a good female lead just seems like 
you know, you can't really lose there, especially with him at the helm. Right. It's weird, though, because it's like the joke with Blumhouse is all their movies take place in a house. But this one's a whole small town. <laughs> did you see the trailer for Black Christmas? I, I didn't put that on here. Yeah. Yeah, I did see that. It, that looks good. I'm, I'm excited for that. The shot work in it looks very, like, average. Yeah. Like I don't want to say average basic. in a mean way, but it's just, like, basic. But the actual plot of the movie is cool. I don't know why they're calling it Black Christmas, though, because it isn't, it's nothing like the original. Like, not not even close. The only, dip, like, similarity is it takes place on Christmas. And I don't think... I don't think Black Christmas has that much mind share to where you're pulling in a ton of people by it being a remake, you know? Isn't that yeah. kind of weird? I mean, it would pull in, like some hardcore horror fans but i i mean not enough for them to really greenlight a remake i would think like they they wouldn't be betting on the backs of that to have that make the money back for it it's actually the second remake of that movie because the one came out in 2006 but they spelled it black xmas <laughs> it was terrible well so i don't know it's like they the trailer for black christmas the new one also spoils the entire movie so don't watch it but i'll watch it like it's a it's a christmas horror movie it's a slasher movie and we were pretty much covered all the way through january because we've got doctor sleep in november we've got that around christmas and then we've got uh gretel and hansel in january so the end of the year is looking pretty good yeah we definitely have uh a lot coming out it's gonna be good and i think this, yeah so this, this movie too looks looks pretty or sounds interesting enough yeah so this next one on here george this this morning there was this trailer <laughs> going around the internet for a movie called wrinkles the clown and having just watched gags the clown i was like oh it's another one of these found footage creepy clown movies and i was like this trailer is really good like this clown's really creepy turns out this is a real clown <laughs> it was a guy you could it's a documentary about this clown that looks like a found footage movie and you could call this guy in florida he was a 65 year old veteran uh who was a clown you could call him to come scare the shit out of your kids for in his words a few hundred dollars so i looked into this and in an interview from 2015 he said about himself no one knows his name he's obviously very private because in if you watch the trailer uh, people want to kill him for <laughs> yeah. being a scary clown. He has uh, definitely <laughs> his fair share of haters, I guess, but they're pretty serious about it. Yeah. So he said in 2015, I'm just a good old-fashioned clown. When I was a kid, it was all right to scare kids. And now they're all just whiny and scared. <laughs> I want to bring scary back. <laughs> so um, there's like a little synopsis, which is actually not a little synopsis. It's a pretty big synopsis, but... Um, this, this is the whole story behind Wrinkles the Clown. He says, In late 2014, a low-res video of a person in a clown mask emerging from underneath a sleeping child's bed appears on YouTube. <laughs> the description below the video claims that the clown is named Wrinkles, that he lives in southwest Florida, and he's been hired by the child's parents to frighten her from misbehaving. And the that video, video is horrifying. They, they included, yeah, they put it in the trailer. Yeah, they included it in the trailer. And honestly, if you saw that out of context, you'd probably shit your pants. And you, I did that... see it out of context because I thought it was a movie. I thought it was a fucking, like, not a documentary. I thought it was, like, a found footage movie. And I was like, that is fucking horrifying and smart. I mean, like, imagine that's terrifying. Yeah, imagine being that little girl. How terrified you would be. Oh, my God, dude. Like, and it's, <laughs> it's not like his his costume is great. He's got this, like, creepy-ass clown mask. There's a... I, 
if you go to my Twitter, you can see I, I screenshotted like four stills from it. There's one of him looking in someone's window that is absolutely yeah. horrifying. <laughs> it's insane. So it goes on. Soon, more mysterious videos of wrinkles scaring children appear online, along with a phone number to hire him for behavioral <laughs> services. Wrinkles becomes internet lore. A whole genre of YouTube videos of kids filming themselves calling him appears online, and over a million messages are left at the number. Voicemails range from disturbing to hilarious to terrifying. I mean, disturbing to terrifying, I feel like that's that's like a step. Like, yeah. half a step. Like... You don't need that triple range there, but anyways... <laughs> Parents use the number to terrify their children. Kids who are obsessive fans of the creepy clowns reach out to make a new friend. Children threaten to inflict wildly creative violence if he comes anywhere near them. But who is Wrinkles, George? And why is he doing this? Why? He's <laughs> he said a, why he's doing it. He's just a 65-year-old man who likes to scare children. <laughs> he's from Rhode Island, and he re relocated to Florida. I looked into this guy. Anyways... With incredible access to the mastermind behind the mask, Wrinkles the Clown is a cryptic and playful exploration of these questions, as well as an inside look at the myth building and the unpredictable spread of imagination in the internet age. So, I'm all in on this. I will pay whatever it costs to rent it on October 4th when it comes out. If this movie does not make a ton of money, I will be pissed because <laughs> it is such a fucking awesome concept. How have we never heard of this guy? Yeah, I mean, and the trailer itself is really well cut. Like, it's an excellent trailer, for sure. Yeah. Um, In contrast to Gags the Clown, especially. <laughs> like, I thought Gags the Clown was like, oh, it's pretty good. But this was awesome. Like, I'm I'm all in. It's showing at Fantastic Fest, which is Alamo Drafthouse's uh, movie festival they put on every year. So if you're there, you should definitely go check this out and let us know how it is. Yeah, I'm definitely excited. This is uh, something that I would have never thought would be on my radar but uh after seeing that trailer i'm really excited for it are you scared of the scary clown stuff i mean i, I wouldn't like wrinkles if i saw him in real life <laughs> you know what i mean like i mean i wouldn't either like if i saw that guy i wouldn't like seeing him and i wouldn't hire him to come into my house <laughs> Definitely. oh i would and to i would let him chill under my kid's bed uh, the whole thing with Gags the Clown was that, so he had these, you would find his black balloons, and there are characters that go, oh man, this is a Gags original in the movie. <laughs> but the black balloon will like pop, and there's some sort of drug in it that makes you throw up blood and become a clown zombie. Hmm. It's like, uh, it was pretty cool. So uh, I like the effects of people throwing up blood in the back of a car. <laughs> So if you if you're like really really hype for Gags like or um, Wrinkles the Clown, you should go check out Gags the Clown on Amazon Prime. Also, there's like a bloody disgusting produced it, and there's like a little stinger for their website before the movie. I made that three and a half years ago. <laughs> They're still using it, so huh. I I had technically helped make a feature film, George. There you go. Get your name in there. Yeah. So next up on here. We have some, you know, I, I picked out all the best things that are coming to Shudder over the next couple months. The first thing on October 10th is Channel Zero Season 4, The Dream Door, which I saw the first episode of and liked, but did not continue with. So I will be watching it once it's on Shudder. They also have Hell House LLC 3, Lake of Fire, 
with a 45 or no i i almost said the trailer was too long with a 15 <laughs> second trailer uh it comes out on september 19th george and i will definitely be watching and covering that haunt which is produced by eli roth directed by scott beck and brian woods we've talked about this a couple times that's from the guys who did a quiet place that's uh october 24th and son of gulag is coming out do you remember the gulag yeah the gulag last year yeah that was the uh jack-o'-lantern stream that you could watch yes so i hope son of gulag is longer because gulag was only an hour long and that's not long enough and then finally there's a surprise something surprising happened on halloween but um joe bob tweeted about it and said i wonder what this is so we're probably getting a surprise joe bob special for halloween um i really hope it's halloween 3 that's what everyone wants <laughs> him to do a halloween 3 last drive it episode yeah i know he uh was not too fond of that when it was on monster vision he, right that's why everyone wants him to redo right. it <laughs> he has quite a few choice words about halloween 3 so it'd be fun to see him uh at least do that movie but you know I don't think we've seen him do one of these marathons with less than like two or three movies. So we'll probably get, you know, something hopefully. I mean, that'd be something just really fun to watch on Halloween night. Yeah. So if you have like 10 bucks, you could get Gears of War 5, Blair Witch, (laughs) and Shudder for like the month of October and you'd be set. You'd be so set. What was that review you saw of uh, Hell House 2? Oh, yeah. The top comment on the um, new trailer <laughs> is, <laughs> it, it was like, I love Hell House LLC. The second one was a piece of shit, but I'm excited for this. <laughs> no, it was like, the second one was a piece of shit, but I but love I it. But I still love it. <laughs> or yeah. something like that. That's so good. Yeah, that's exactly how I feel. I think we both said that on this podcast, so that's great. Uh, this next one you have on here, George, is about uh, Castle Rock. So I'm going to let you take this one since I... I've designated you as the Stephen King guy. (laughs) Yeah, so uh, Castle Rock Season 2 is coming out. It premieres also in October. So if you have 20 bucks, I guess, get yourself a Hulu subscription (laughs) with that. It's adding up too quick. (laughs) (laughs) We're spending too much of people's money. (laughs) But um, apparently the big story that this one is taking on is Misery. Uh, So Lizzie Chaplin is on board to play young Annie Wilkes. And uh, it will be coming on October 23rd. So uh, the synopsis for season for season two is a feud between warring clans comes to a boil when budding psychopath Annie Wilkes, Stephen King's nurse from hell, gets Wayland in Castle Rock. This is weird because like the whole thing with Castle Rock was that they were taking like themes of Stephen King and coming up with new stories but I guess they just didn't do a very good job in the first season so they're like all right we got to pick out a character Annie Wilkes is a good one to go with because everyone loves misery everyone loves that fucking movie yeah and I guess story yeah I mean it's just I, I don't know if it was something where they learned from the first season I'm not sure exactly what their critical acclaim was for that um bad but not ba- good <laughs> not good uh, maybe they felt they went too heady and uh, not necessarily, you know, people wanted a, something a little bit closer to an adaptation. No, so. they fucking packed two episodes <laughs> worth of story into eight episodes. The only, like, stuff huh? only happened in that show in, like, the beginning and the end. The middle was ridiculous. Yeah. It was so bad. So, may- I mean, I'm just saying maybe they learn from their mistakes. They know 
pick an iconic character, and then maybe focus for a whole season instead of farting around for eight episodes. So, I mean, I, it's cool I that mean, I got I'm a second season. It. Yeah. Um, you know, I'd obviously like to see them do more with it because I wasn't uh, massively impressed with the first season either. Uh, but I, I'll definitely tune into this when it drops on October 23rd. Yep, me too, on Hulu. And then this is really cool. So while I was in Vancouver, a new website kind of just popped up out of nowhere for a new Resident Evil game codenamed Project Resistance. And it's going to be revealed at the Tokyo Game Show on September 9th. But there's this website. So like if you wanted to rip a thumbnail from one of my YouTube videos, you could put a link to my video on this website. And it would not only give you my thumbnail, but it would give you the auto-generated thumbnails YouTube came up with. And so people did that with the um, Premiere link. Do you know how YouTube Premieres work? So it's like you upload a video and then you schedule right, Premiere. Right, you set it to launch at a certain time. <clears throat> so because the video is on YouTube, people were able to pull the thumbnails from this website with the link. And it looks like it's going to be a uh, four-player co-op Resident Evil, but based on the way the characters look and how the lighting is in the trailer, they definitely are using the Reach for the Moon engine. So it's not just like a third-party thing like um, Operation Raccoon City, which was garbage. This looks like it's actually built in the RE7 slash RE2 engine, and that is really cool. People think it's going to be a spiritual successor to Outbreak, which was, there were two of them. Um, there were PS2 games, and they were multiplayer Resident Evil games, but they were still, they retained the survival horror aspects. Like, they were really hard. They were basically anthology movies within the Resident Evil universe. Like, when you bought Outbreak, you got, um, it wasn't like an interconnected story, I guess. It was like a, a bunch of different levels that were all little vignettes from the Raccoon City Outbreak. So, I am really excited to see what this is. Because yeah. I just, I want it out now. Like, I I don't know. I feel like Capcom's on a roll, and I feel like now is the time for them to do a multiplayer survival horror game. Yeah, I mean, I know you and I played a lot of Resident Evil Mercenaries on 3DS. and That game is so underrated. <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's so good. And this just seems like, a, you know, an expanded version of that bigger characters, maybe some kind of, you know, weak story to tie all these areas together. And just being able to play Resident Evil multiplayer with your friends, rack up some points, get through some ways of enemies. I mean, it's always fun. That's always a, a good time, especially when you're playing with people. So this is something, you know, I, I pr maybe would have preferred like a Resident Evil 3 remake or Resident Evil 8. But I think this is definitely something that will be good enough to tide us over until the next main uh, RE Resident Evil release comes out. So what I think is going on here is that they're working on Resident Evil 8 and 3 Remake, right? We don't know which one's coming first. Right. I would assume 8, um, just obviously because 2 was the last one. It's a good cadence to get into where it's like main, stay, like main series game, remake, main series game, right. remake, whatever. I think those are going to be next-gen games, and they don't want to have multiple years go by without a Resident Evil title again. And now that they've sort of gotten in their groove, they can come out with this multiplayer, four-player Raccoon City Outbreak type game to release either stealth release like this year, be like, look, we've been working on this all along. It's crazy. It's out now. Or next year, you know, just yeah. in between. I think it'll probably be 
not $60 just from what it is. I think it'll be like a downloadable title. I, I just think Capcom, other than Monster Hunter World, which is their best-selling game of all time somehow, uh, they don't really have a lot of multiplayer experiences. You know, like that's literally right now, besides Monster Hunter Generations, like everything outside of Monster Hunter, they don't really have a multiplayer game. Right. So th- there's like a real void that they could fill with using that Reach for the Moon engine to build something, you know, big and cool. I, people were saying that they want it to be like Left 4 Dead. I don't want it to be like Left 4 Dead specifically. I don't want I don't want them to go back to the zombies that I don't I don't want there to be zombies in this game that you, they could send hundreds of them at you. I want it to be like Resident Evil 2 or Resident Evil 7 where one zombie can easily kill you. Right. And where I want it to be a, that in multiplayer. A fight for resources than it is a <clears throat> mowing through ways of enemies yeah like i want it to be scary you know yeah i'm I'm with you on that on the same page that's that's what they've like established and that's exactly what outbreak was so i'm really excited about this i'm I'm just excited to know more about it i guess and i saw people saying that they want this on switch not gonna happen because (laughs) they're using the re7 engine which is essentially a next-gen engine so good luck with that next one on here george We've got the trailer for Osgood Perkins, the uh, Gretel and Hansel. The old... I kind of like went uphill with this movie. I watched the trailer and I was like, oh, look at Orion. Still out here trying to rip <laughs> off the witch now. Because the aspect ratio is the same as the witch for no reason. But um, Osgood Perkins, the reason I mentioned his name in the title, he's the guy behind the Black Coat's Daughter. Which, if you take the Black Coat's Daughter, the witch, and Hereditary, they're like a perfect trilogy of movies. So, he kind of got fucked on the Black Coat's Daughter because A24 was like, this won't do well in theaters, even though it's one of our best movies. <laughs> so, they gave it to DirecTV as a timed exclusive, and then it just went on VOD services. So, I'm really excited for this movie. The shot work in the trailer was awesome. It looks like it's all shot on location, not on a soundstage in the fall. And it has a shot of a classic witch. Did you see yeah, that? Like yeah. the green skin, like an old school black witch. pointy hat. Yeah. And she's scary. Like, very scary looking. Uh, they've got, what's her name? Sophia Lillis, I think is her name or something like that. She plays uh, Gretel. Right? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know who plays who in this one. I, only I think saw... it's the girl who played Bev. Young Bev is, uh, oh, is it? Gretel. I'm pretty sure. I'm not positive. I could be wrong. I'm pretty sure it's her. Um, but basically, they're changing up the story. So Gretel and Hansel leave home during a time of pestilence and famine. And on their travels, they encounter a kindly huntsman before finding solace in the home of an elderly woman whose motives may not be altogether pure. So this looks like a twist on the story, but it's keeping the main themes of it. You know, not not to be too trusting. Um just overall shot work is great why the fuck are they releasing this on january 30th and not like (laughs) october 1st yeah i don't know i mean maybe it's not quite done yet or something but it seems like really missing the mark to not put it out in october it's just stupid like i don't understand why orion is obsessed with it's like why did you go through all this trouble to bring back orion if you're just going to consistently tank it (laughs) You know, right. like, oh, the, the prodigy we will do that. Throw that out there with no marketing. 
oh, Child's Play. We're not even going to talk about that. And then it's like, we got, they finally have a great director, like a legitimately great director after they told Neil Blomkamp, no, we're not going to wait for you to do a horror movie. And they're like, yeah, we'll throw your movie out on January 20th. Like in the fucking no man's land of movie releases. It's like, come on, man. Yeah. But I hope it's good. Yeah, I mean, I I love Black Coat's daughter, and, you know, I'd assume at least the trailer looks good, and I trust him as a director, so I feel like this is going to be another, you know, really good movie, but it'll probably get lost in the shuffle <laughs> since it's out in January. Did we do an episode on the Black Coat's daughter? I don't believe so. We should do one on that movie one day, because it's really good. Damn. That movie's great. Yeah. Graham showed me that. It's He's really been on the show before. If you're a newer listener, our friend Graham was on the Telluride episode. It's like one of his favorite movies. Um, so next up on here, Lee Winnell. He's still, you know, chipping away at his terrifying new take on The Invisible Man. We finally have a full synopsis. And it says, what you can't see can hurt you. Emmy Award winner, Elizabeth Moss. She's an us who lose The Handmaid's Tale. Stars in a terrifying modern tale of obsession inspired by Universal's classic monster character. Trapped in a violent, controlling relationship with a wealthy, brilliant, successful scientist, Cecilia Cass escapes in the dead of night and disappears into hiding, aided by her sister, the childhood friend, and his teenage daughter. But when Cecilia's abusive ex commits suicide and leaves her a generous portion of his vast fortune, Cecilia suspects his death was a hoax, and a series of eerie coincidences turns lethal, threatening the lives of those she loves, and Cecilia's sanity begins to unravel. So this sounds pretty cool. That's that's what I'm getting out of it. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I'm not really sure if there was any worry that Lee Winnell couldn't write something that was going to be pretty cool for a Universal Monster movie. But it sounds like they're taking, you know, a pretty fresh original take with this and just kind of using the bones of that monster. I mean, whether it'll work or not, I don't know. But it sounds cool. At least they're trying something different. Yeah, I'm glad it's for Universal. So it's not just a ploy to get them to come direct some fucking shitty DC movie. (laughs) (laughs) You know, because it's like Andy Muschietti, now that he's done with It too. He got his practice turning it into a Marvel movie, so he's working on The Flash <laughs> next. I'm really glad that Universal doesn't have any superheroes, because uh, that's exactly what any other studio would be doing with Lee. And I want him working on horror, because he's such a good horror writer and director. He's also supposedly working on an uh, Escape from New York remake that's sanctioned by John Carpenter. So I'm really excited to see what's going on in this guy's career in the future. I'm sad that he broke up with his boy, James Wan, though, but, like, I'm glad he's got his own career now. Yeah, I mean, I I think of the two paths that they diverged on, I think he's kind of on the the better one. Yeah, because Upgrade is just good Venom. Right. I mean, like, he made Upgrade, which was awesome. Uh, You know, like, he didn't, (laughs) he had nothing to do with Aquaman. Like, yeah, James Wan gets the bigger projects, but Lee Winnell has, like, the more interesting stuff to work with, I feel. Yeah, he just gets to cameo in, in all of yeah. James Bond stuff. He cameoed in Aquaman, right? I'm pretty sure yeah, he I had, like, he a, did. like, a look. He was probably one of the fishmen or something. That's <laughs> so funny. Because he has acting credits, too. He acts in uh, the Insidious movies. He's the one of the ghost yeah. hunters. Yeah, 
which is funny because he writes all those. Uh, but I love that dude. He's just really nice. Uh, I really want to see his career expand, and I really hope he saves the Universal monsters from Universal. <laughs> I hope that, like I hope this movie does really well, and then they just give him the next one, and then he, that does well, yeah, and they're like, okay, now like, you can have Dracula. It becomes the <laughs> Lee Wanell Universal Monster Universe. <laughs> he's got his like you know his Yu-Gi-Oh cards. He's got a dual disc <laughs> with all the fucking like. Yeah. He's like, all right. He's assembling this like collection of Universal monsters. <laughs> he's, he's just, just like going the ham. Uh, Kevin Feige of the like Dark Universe or the Marvel monster, <laughs> yeah. the Universal monsters. Dude, I saw this picture on Twitter today. Uh, with it was you know that that picture they put out with the Dark Universe actors where they're on that like gray backdrop and they're all in nice clothes. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. It's that, and then Tom Holland is in there, too. <laughs> Just up, It's like that shot of him from when Spider-Man Homecoming came out. He's got his mask off, and he's wearing the Spider-Man yeah. suit. And he looks, like, really serious. And, like, for a second, I was like, what's different about this picture? And then I noticed him in the full Spider-Man cap. It's like, oh, man. That was pretty funny. It would be kind of sweet to have Dracula and Spider-Man in a movie together, though. Um, yeah, that'd be, that'd be <laughs> awesome. They're doing a, like, Marvel Zombies animated show, or episode for What If, right? Uh, I mean, there's no way they'll skip that. So, I don't know. That'd be pretty funny. So we have two more news stories here. Here's what you can expect from, or no, here's what you can expect from the Creep Show premiere and the season finale, which is an odd way to do it, actually, if you ask me. But... <laughs> The season premiere is called Grey Matter, with a story by Stephen King, adapted by Byron Willinger and Philip de It's directed by Greg Nicotero, who's the guy who made The Walking Dead good. So that's why it's noteworthy. So it stars Gian es- Giancarlo Esposito, that's a name, and Tobin Bell from Saw, and uh, Adrian Barbeau who also appeared in the original Creepshow movie and is adapted from a story originally published in Stephen King's 1978 best-selling collection, Night Shift, which I really like. That doesn't tell us anything. Oh, wait. No, you put the you put the synopsis here. Sorry, George. I just did you bad. Doc and Chief, two old-timers in a small dying town, brave a storm to check on Richie, an alcoholic single father, after encountering his terrified son at the local convenience store. That sounds like your biography. <laughs> How's that my biography? I think you're Richie. <laughs> uh, what do you think of that? Are you excited? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I think the show will probably be pretty good. I think that Shudder has definitely made some money recently, and they're trying to get some originals off the ground, so I feel like they want to have a strong start, you know, a Stephen King story with Greg Nicotero as the director seems like probably the best way, you know, it's a good way to get it set off on the right foot. So I'm excited for it. I mean, I think it, you know, that description doesn't give us a whole lot to go off of and I haven't read the original short story, but I think that this show is going to be pretty cool. So that was like a really long synopsis of the premiere. The finale is like seven words. It's like (laughs) the house of the head. Written by Josh Mallerman, who wrote Bird Box, yikes, and directed by John Harrison. And the, the, the like description they give, Evie discovers her new dollhouse might be haunted. What? 
I mean, why did you even give us that? Sounds kind of fun. Haunted dollhouse. I guess. <laughs> From the guy who made Bird Box, like, okay, maybe why all the is dolls that the finale? Blindfolds. I heard there's another episode that they should have written about in this article where it's like a siege episode where a bunch of Nazis are attacked by U.S. soldiers who purposely become werewolves. What? Yeah, that's like the main characters of the Nazis fighting off werewolf American soldiers. That should be the finale. That sounds awesome. Yeah. They're all practical. (laughs) Shutter, hit your boy up. I'll come run your show. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, I think the show's going to be good. What do you think? Um, The trailer wasn't great. It was like just a collection of shots that didn't really feel like creep show. Remember last week when we were talking about how John Carpenter didn't want to give up Tales from Halloween because people just wanted a title? Right. At sci-fi. That's the vibe I got from the trailer. But because of the people who are working on it, I'm willing to give it the benefit of the doubt. And I want Shudder to excel. I just don't think... I don't think they've they've made a very good showing so far with it, but I'd love to be um, I'd love to be you know going in with low expectations and then surprised right. with a really good show because this is the real the Joe Bob stuff is great, but Shutter doesn't really have anything to do with that. You know, it's just Joe Bob being Joe Bob. This is like a real show. This is like a, a scripted event, so I want it to be good for Shutter's sake, right? So they can stop having to like tell people to subscribe to watch foreign (laughs) horror movies you know like yeah nothing wrong with foreign horror movies but like no one's subscribing to netflix to watch that uh indonesian horror movie you really liked ghoul right remember that or like like, troll hunter yeah like i love that shit but shutter consistently has to like say look check out this insane like tigers are not afraid it's a mexican horror movie it's like the general audience you're trying to attract to pay five dollars a month which is nothing does not give a shit about that like you know it's not mainstream no So this is their first real mainstream property like they have mandy and they barely promote it right (laughs) which like if you talk to anybody who is at all in any horror circle last year they sing that movie's praises constantly so yeah mandy's fucking awesome that you wouldn't (laughs) <laughs> be promoting that over some of the other movies that you have on there yeah um i want it to be good that's kind of where i'm at like I'm, yeah i'm like i i everything i've seen so far is cool ish but not i was underwhelmed You're not by sold on it yet yeah i i, I thought it was going to be a lot better because i i'm a diehard walking dead fan who stopped watching when glenn died just like i stopped reading the comics when glenn died but I really like The Walking Dead. I thought Greg Nicotero was doing great shit. Like, me and you used to watch it all the time. Like, every Sunday, you'd come over and we'd watch it. Right. And it was a lot of fun. And then I got blocked by Fear Fest for telling them that tweeting spoilers is bullshit. Um, but I was excited for Greg Nicotero, the guy who made The Walking Dead good, to come in and do Creep Show. And so far, what they've shown is not great. You know? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, one of those wait-and-see things, you know. Maybe they just don't have a decent team to advertise it, and what they have is actually decent, or maybe it is that, you know, it's not going to turn out so good. We'll just have to wait till it's actually right. out. But 
On the other hand, Fangoria's fifth issue is coming out very soon, and on the cover, they prominently are featuring Creepshow, and I think they have a perfect track record for stuff that's been on their covers being good. So I want to believe that they've seen it and then saw something in it that was like, oh, this is actually really good. We're going to put it on the cover of our insanely expensive magazine that comes out quarterly. You know, like, I don't think Fangoria would let something be on the cover that wasn't good because it's not like they have a month to wait for, you know, to make people forget about it. They got to wait like two and a half, three months. And it's a lot of research. I mean, their articles are not, you know, like a one-page clickbait thing. I mean, they're interviews and they're pages long and they're in-depth, you know, a couple thousand words. It's not something where if it was a subpar product, they would, you know, dedicate the amount of time that they do to making their full-page spreads and researching and interviewing people, so... Right. For It Chapter 2, for example, every website out there is having Bill Hader interview... um, Finn Wolfhard, right? They're mm-hmm. like, oh, wouldn't it be funny if this... And I saw the guy who's the editor-in-chief of Fangoria, Phil Noble Jr., I saw him on Twitter, like, he was upset because he was like, oh, our print magazine comes out soon and, like, a bunch of websites have already done this. But, like, the difference is when, like, BuzzFeed or IGN or whoever the fuck is making Bill Hader do this, it's usually at a junket and they get, like, 10 minutes for that to happen and it's just rushed, you know, and there's one quote being passed around... And I was like, eh, I don't need to read that. I've never wanted to click on those links, even though it's a cool concept. But when Phil tweeted out that Fangoria was doing it, I'm like, oh, th- I care about that. Because right. th- it's a magazine, you know? Like, it's a premium product that I'm going to get a premium interview out of. Like, I will gladly go read it there, and I just didn't care everywhere else. Like, I was, I felt bad for him because it's like, you, you can't win in that scenario because everyone else has already done it because they're not beholden to a magazine's release date. But the magazine is what I care about. Like, I, I really want to read it on paper. I want to see what they've got in their magazine. So, I don't know. I just, I trust the people working on that, especially Meredith Borders. She does a lot of great work over there, too. So, if they, if they like, bring it back. If they like Creepshow enough to put it on the cover, I think we have some good reason to be excited for it. Even though what they've shown so far has not been stellar. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree. Speaking of things that we are not expecting to be good, but very well might be good. Chris Rock's new take on Saw has finally wrapped production, which must be really exciting for Daryl and Bossman because he stopped working on a Saw movie that they were shooting to start over essentially and shoot this. So he announced uh, that production has wrapped on the ninth Saw, which stars Chris Rock, which I will never get used to, (laughs) as a police detective investigating a series of grisly crimes. Samuel L. Jackson will portray his father and Nanzine Contractor as a coroner who works closely with Rock's character. Max Mignella from Horns and the Darkest Hour plays Will Shank, Shank, Rock's partner, and Marisol Nichols from Scream 2 and Riverdale plays Captain Angie Garza who's Rock's boss. It looks really cool. Like, I'm I'm fucking excited for Saw 9, which is what I heard they're calling it. Yeah. Um, I mean, really, like, the selling point is that they had a movie currently in the works, and Chris Rock was like, no, 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 no. That's probably really bad compared to what I have written myself without anybody asking me to. And then they read, they read his script and were like, oh, no, our movie was dog shit, and this is what we should do instead. 
Because it's it's not like Lionsgate doesn't have a lot of shit going on. Like Lionsgate has a lot of stuff going on. Like Lionsgate are the people behind John Wick for Christ's right. sakes, and they're they're putting out video games now. They put out Player Witch. Like Lionsgate does not need to cancel a movie to start start over essentially, especially since Jigsaw made its money back and a pretty generous profit on a pretty mediocre script and CGI effects. You know, like right. they could have pumped out another garbage crappy Saw movie and been just fine, but they were like, no. We're starting over because this is really cool. Also, I think it was really smart that they bumped it back to May 15th of next year because originally it was supposed to compete with Halloween Kills. Yeah, no, and I just don't see it winning that fight. Nothing's going to win that fight other than like Nightmare on Elm Street or Friday the 13th. Like it's, right. it is, pe- when they moved it back, people were like, oh, Lionsgate isn't confident in their movie. It's like, no, Lionsgate is smart. Like, I just, I hate when these movie companies actually make smart moves and people still rip on them. It's like, no, Lionsgate is doing really good stuff. I feel like Lionsgate is on a a Capcom-like trajectory right now where they're incubating great shit. They're really focusing on making good products and letting them come out when they need to rather than just pumping stuff out in the theaters like they used to. Um, I'm really excited for this movie, honestly. I think it's going to be pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, we've seen, you know, comedians make really good horror movies in the past. And I think this being like a passion project for Chris Rock, surprisingly, (laughs) uh, definitely has me not only curious into, you know, what it is, but I'm pretty confident that it's probably something cool. That's It's weird because by the time you and I became friends, Saw was pretty much over. Right, like yeah, it was like Saw Five was I think the newest one, like I which think is we, insane. Because we've, we've been Five friends since sixth on, grade on DVD or something. Yeah, yeah. People in our friend group just wanted to skip through to the kills, which at that point they weren't even that great. Like, remember when we downloaded the Xbox 360 game demo and played through that? Yeah, that game <laughs> wasn't great, but it was cool. <coughs> Yeah, that's uh, it was made by the people uh, who made that Apache helicopter like simulator that was in that podcast no. you sent me. <laughs> Zombie. Zombie Studios. They made a really, oh my god, they made a terrible horror game uh, when we were juniors in college. They made Daylight with uh, Jessica Chobot. Oh my god. You remember that? Like very vaguely. She like, wrote it. It was, a, it was the first Unreal Engine 4 game to be released. Oh, man. Yeah, it was so bad. It didn't run well at all. It was like a procedurally generated first-person horror game that sounded cool. Like, you walked through an asylum and you used, a, um, like, a flip video camera to, like, see ghosts. It was it had some good scares in it, but, like, they tried to stretch it out into a full game when yeah. it didn't need to be. When it was more of, like, a tech demo than anything. Yeah, but anyways... I feel like we'll see a return of the Saw video games, especially since, like, Lionsgate, for some reason, has discovered the art of making video games again, and <laughs> they've been doing really good shit with it. Like, uh, um, remember that game? I, sh- I definitely showed it to you. Thomas Was Alone. Yeah. The game about the squares. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that guy is making the John Wick Hex game, which is, like, a turn-based John Wick game. It's not, like, an action game. It's, like, a turn-based... Uh, fire emblem style game where they worked with the fight coordinators on john wick 
to make sure he was doing everything right in the game. So it's like a turn-based strategy. And then Blair Witch, they got Bloober Team, who are making the best first-person horror games ever. It's like, Lionsgate's doing some smart shit, so I feel like if they're going to do a Saw game, um, I feel like it'll actually be worth playing. Right. They would pair up with someone who knows how to make a good puzzle game and then figure out the yeah. rest from there. Yeah. So, anyways, guys, that's it for the news section this week. We're officially in the Halloween season. These are going to be some longer episodes, <laughs> I can feel. So uh, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with our review of It Chapter 2. All right, guys, we're back from our quick break. Today we're talking about It Chapter 2. Uh, it's directed by Andy Muschietti again. It's written entirely by Gary Doberman. And this time around, it focuses on the Adult Losers Club. So Bev is played by Jessica Chastain. Bill is played by James McAvoy. Richie is played by Bill Hader. Ben is played by Jack Ryan. And Eddie is played by James Ransone. James Ransone, dude. Glad he's finally getting, you know, recognized. This is a big, big break for him. Um, You might know him from In a Valley of Violence or as Officer So-and-So from Sinister. That's some fun trivia for you. But what did you think of It Chapter 2, George? Uh, I liked it. I thought that it was a a good conclusion to, you know, what the first part set up. I thought that, you know, most of the adult performances were either passable to pretty good. Um, they did a good job at making them feel like the kids. Like I, yeah, I never questioned that they were the kids grown up. And when I was leaving the right. theater, I was like, oh shit, like that, that's, that's an achievement right there. Like that's really hard to do. There's yeah, I mean, five you, of them, you know, it's five actors who all fit perfectly. Yeah. Even just the casting. I mean, s- some of them obviously look more like the c- child actors than others. I mean, James Ransone is like a spitting image of the kid who played Eddie. <laughs> I know, and, it's uh, bizarre. <laughs> and that kid's having a great career, too, because he was awesome in Shazam. Yeah. I loved him in Shazam. Yeah, that guy, I think he's going to have a lot, uh, you know, good career ahead of him. Because he's, you know, he's like the fun, quick talker. He's funny. He's, you know, yeah. likable. I think he's going to have uh, a lot to look forward to. But, I mean, I thought that they did a good job of, you know, creating the adults in the, you know, what you'd expect the kids grown up to be like. I mean, the movie is definitely has its shortcomings. It's really formulaic to the point where, like, everybody has to go get a totem and you know exactly what's going to happen and you know exactly. So is that how it's set up in the book? Like, are they like, oh, I need to go get a token or whatever? No. Like, is that okay? So they literally dumbed it down for the movie. Like, ah, that was so annoying. This movie literally, to me, felt like a tryout for Andy Muschietti's Nightmare on Elm Street movie. Like, it felt like, you know, because all, all the characters have to go on their little vision quest to find out, like, find themselves and, you know, collect all the tokens they need to collectively beat Pennywise, a.k.a. Freddy. Like, it just felt like... It, it felt formulaic. You're right. I've never... I haven't seen anyone really call it formulaic except you, but you're right. It's formulaic because it's just following the mold of the Nightmare on Elm Street movies. To me. Yeah. And, and I mean, that whole... 
I mean, I guess they incorporated that to make it work better, the second half of the book work better as a movie. I mean, the tokens, like, aren't really a thing in the book at all. It's really just... <sighs> they They go on a vision quest where they basically go down into that little clubhouse and they create, like, a smoke circle that they learned from this, like, old book in the library where the Native Americans... How they found out about Dude, like, the beginning it's of it's so weird that they go through all that trouble to get rid of the Native American subplot, but then follow it. Like, yeah. <laughs> they incorporate it in a more racist way than the book. <laughs> it's like, I, I don't know. I, I, did, I really didn't like the Native American subplot type shit. Like, Pet Cemetery did it in a good and respectful way. You know, like, Pet Cemetery modernized it in right. a way that they actually pulled from real lore. Where this was like, Mike's like, oh... I'm the Old Spice guy from the Old Spice commercials, <laughs> which is hilarious to me. He, he's like, oh, I found this drum. And then, uh, like, uh, just the shit they did with that was so cringe to me. Just like, I, I didn't like that whole element because they went through all this trouble. Like, he could have learned that from the books in the library. You know, he could have learned about the Ritual of Chud and, like, a right-hand path magic book right. or anything else. But it's like, no, we got to pull in this Native American subplot. It's like, all right, great. But I, it also wasn't clear to me what each character's totem was. Because it, it was like, Bill, on the way to collect his totem, gets the bike. The silver right. rocket thought, or whatever, right? The, I thought the bike would be the totem. Because right. that was, like, the but thing then it's from his the, childhood. But then right. they were like, well, but we can't burn like, a whole oh bike, God. so we, we got to make it something you can throw into a fire. There's just so much weird shit. Like, there's just weird shit going on Yeah. in this movie. Like, you, you just reminded me. I'm assuming everyone has seen the movie. We're going to spoil it. So, like, five, four, three, two, one. Go away. Like, pause your <laughs> podcast. All right, we're going to spoil it. So, when, when they're going down into the, the sewers, right, to fight Pennywise, and Jessica Chastain, Bev, gets pulled underwater... There's no resolution to that at all. She gets pulled underwater by Pennywise, and then she just pops back up. She's like, "Oh, I'm fine now." It's like, what? What just happened? <laughs> like, what? what is, is that supposed to be scary? Like, Eddie's out on the, the the middle of the thing, just like, "Oh man, I hope they come back out of the water." It's like, well, yeah. Then they come out of the water, and they're like, "Whoa!" They don't even <laughs> acknowledge it. No. Like, it's just bizarre, and like. The, the fun house scene is so underdeveloped. Like, Bill running through the fun house is like, oh, he's trying to save this kid who lives in his old house, which he has to repeat, like, 40 times because <laughs> reasons. And then the kid, it's just, like, blood on the mirror. And it's like, oh, my God. Like, what, what the hell is going on? I just, I don't know. I really liked this movie a lot. But it's a very frustrating movie to me, which if you've watched my YouTube channel, you've listened to this podcast for a while... The, the worst movies to me are the ones that are on the verge of being great, but have a bunch of dumb shit in them that stops them from being great. And I feel like that's exactly what this is. It feels like Warner Brothers took this movie from New Line Cinema, who knows how to make a horror movie. It looks like they took it from them and they were like still obsessed with copying Marvel for some reason. And they were like, nope, it can't be too scary, even though it's rated R. So every horror scene in this movie has to be undercut with a dumb fucking joke. That's what really got to me. Like, Bill Hader as Richie, perfect. Spot on. Jokes are hilarious. But, like, there's a scene where Henry Bowers stabs Eddie through the mouth. And he's, like, got a knife still hanging out of the side of his face. 
And as he turns and leaves the room, it goes like, you should cut your mullet. It's been 30 years. It's like, what? Like, why would you ADR in that joke? Like, I was just like, I, I was in a theater, like a press screening. And I was like, I literally audibly said like, what? Like, why? Why is that in the movie? It's like every fucking scene has a goddamn joke undercut under it. And then they were like, oh, wait, every horror scene we filmed has a joke in it. So then they added in the scenes where the kids die. You know, like the funhouse right. scene and then the under the bleachers. Like that, though, both those scenes felt like they were added in later because the movie's not scary. Because, again, Pennywise is barely in it. Yeah, he, and it's he weird because so the many... scenes that he's actually in are some of the better parts of the movie. I mean, I think, like, yeah. that, that intro scene at the carnival where... Terrifying. Yeah, like, where the guy gets thrown off the bridge the, the fight, and beaten up. It's like the most real fight scene yeah, ever totally. in a movie. Then you see Pennywise drag him out of the water, eat him, and then you just see this flood of red balloons come over the screen. And it's oh, like, the Whoa. bite? The, like, bite he does is awesome. Yeah, like, you look it's at like, that and you're... so good. Like, it sets up the tone for this movie to be, like, much more serious and, like, realistic than it turns out to be. It, it starts so strong, and then there's, like... It's sprinkled with good throughout. Like, I, I like the... Not necessarily the resolution, but I liked the final confrontation with it. Oh, yeah. The, the last... Like, when they fight Pennywise as the spider, and then he's, like, that little, like, goo guy. All of that, I'm 100% okay with. And I didn't really love that... Like, I, I don't understand why they made Richie gay for... Yeah. Like, I don't know why they made him attracted to Eddie, but Bill Hader sold the performance so well that that was the... You know, a lot of people are saying they teared up in this movie. The only part the only part I teared up in, in the entire movie is when they all... You know when they all jump off the cliff at the end? Yeah, and then he's, like, and leaping every, in the water. Oh, yeah. That that fucked me up. Like, <laughs> I was like, that sounded so real. Like, that, that was, like, insane. I've never seen a movie where someone, like sounded like they were actually you know like devastated right and that's what he sounded like there like that was like real crying yeah I you mean, know he, it's not like movie crying he for sure sold it i mean he's a great actor anybody who isn't watching barry is definitely really missing out that's definitely more of a, a comedy show but i think that just really shows like his range as a writer director like comedian like did that part get you at all yeah like, i mean totally oh, he was, was like fuck man that was insanely good acting yeah i mean he is for sure the standout in the movie like by a mile which like were you expecting that at all like bill H- i think that's an oscar worthy performance yeah honestly like i i thought that was he was incredible i mean i and, think he'll like, be he... like the snubbed one this year where they won't put uh, tony him... collette last year right yeah <laughs> i mean i don't know if i'd put his performance on the same level as that maybe i would but it, it's just there's no way he's going to get any kind of uh, Academy recognition for, for that, I don't think. So, with with Pennywise, the point... Correct me if I'm wrong, right? Because you've read the book. So, the point of this is that, like, Pennywise is not strong enough to kill any of these adults, right? He's only strong enough to kill weakened people or kids. Well... Which is why he scares them. He's, like, trying to scare the shit out of them when they're coming for him. So, yeah, like, he but, can kill Adrian Mellon because he got the shit beat out of him and thrown off a bridge, right? Right. And he can kill the kids because they're kids. But he can't hurt the Losers Club when they're going for their tokens. But basically... he's weakened. Like, basically, he says that he goes after children 
because they have like a wider imagination and they have more fears than adults do. So like it's easy to scare a kid and kill a kid because they're afraid of a lot of things. And it's harder to do that to an adult because they don't have like as wide of an imagination or as like easy fears to manifest yourself in. So because like the, the the main criticism I have with all the scare moments with the adults is that Pennywise puts them in these situations where sorry if you heard my hit my mic everyone Pennywise puts all these adults in these situations where he could easily just murder them like flat out like Bev scene especially he turns into this giant stick like monster that's all CGI Eddie's seen in the basement he gets these these characters and scenes where the, he could just destroy them and he just doesn't but so I assumed. Even though the movie didn't tell me this, I assumed it was because after they kicked the shit out of him, he they like really weakened him and he's not strong enough to take on these adults, you know, like these fully formed, right. like strong adults who left Derry and did not grow up in this like oppressive environment, you know? Yeah. So he's doing his best to scare them so they won't, because he knows he can't do anything to hurt them. So he's like, emotionally, I can drain them by scaring the fucking shit out of them. So when they come right. to find me... They'll remember that. Like that's how I kind of took it. Right. After thinking about it a little bit, is that how it's is that how it's presented in the book? Like when the adults are doing shit against him, like is he not able to hurt them because they weakened him as kids? I mean, in the book, basically, it's like any he, like almost entices them to leave Derry by making all their lives like really successful. Like everybody who leaves, you know. Ben starts, like, a really successful architecture firm, and, like, Bill becomes a number one selling author, and, like, Bev has a fashion line in New York, and... And Richie's a radio DJ slash... Right, so it's, like, basically, through his, like, influence, he makes them so, so much, like, money and popular and everything that, like, there's no reason for them to come back and try to fight him again. So... Mike staying behind and like drawing them all so back. So is in. he scared of them? Like, does he? Because they hurt him when he was a kid. Right, that was new for him. Right, right. it was new. So for, he was like, these people have damaged me in the past. They could kill me in the future. So I'm trying to influence their lives so they'll never come back. It's just bizarre that he like doesn't immediately kill Mike. You know, yeah. it's like if he if he nipped that in the bud, Mike would never call everyone and get them to come back. Or you know. So I took it as he can't hurt them because he's not strong enough. Like, I, it was never explained. It was great. Like, this is the best part of the whole movie to me that none of, like, this wasn't explained, but I was able to glean it. Like, oh, Adrian Mellon just got, like, that was the most visceral fight scene I've seen in a movie. Yeah. Like, this guy getting just beat to fuck and then thrown off a bridge. I'm like, oh, that felt like reality. Like, right. he got beat the fuck up and thrown off a bridge. Pennywise is able to just drag him out of the water and take a chomp out of him. He goes after this girl with the, under the bridge with the birthmark on her face. Right, because she's like a, also a social insecurity. reject and she's insecure about, you know, her appearance. Right. He goes after this kid in the fun house because he's isolated and he's already been talking to him through the drain of his bathtub. So I'm like, oh, he's going after these people who are in like either severely weakened states or so weak because they're children that they can't fight him. Right. You know? Right. That was the most, like, nuanced part of the movie to me. So I was wondering if that was part of the book. And, I mean, obviously it's not a direct adaptation. There are a lot of differences from the book. So, you know, that is yeah the angle that they take in the movie. I mean, that's definitely how they're inferring the 
current day Pennywise. In in did you like that the ritual of Chud was like fake? Like it was supposed to end up with all of them dying. You know that was also weird. Like the the Native Americans who did the ritual of Chud all got just slaughtered instantly. They still did it though. They did the same ritual, and then Pennywise was just like, "Oh yeah, the I killed them all last time." It's like, why did you kill him this time? So that was again like, oh, he's in a weakened state. Right. You know, like he I mean, needs to, them to be scared. To me, like the issue that I had with the ritual of Chud in the book. Is that it's basically just like Bill and Eddie like together beat it solo right. w- through this like insane bizarre ritual, and I think and they're like in in space, right? Like, right. They're like outside of reality, like right. kicking his they're spirit. Like, essentially, another dimension fighting like the true form of it in a battle of wits. Yeah, and so I think that like this version makes a lot more sense and gives the characters more to do because it's like everyone oh yeah totally. beating their individual fears and like coming to terms with the fact they're not afraid of him anymore and that he's nothing to them and then they're able to beat him through the group coming together and being like you know you've killed two of our members and you know we're not going to let you kill any more people so i thought that was a better like resolution to pennywise than the way they did it in the books. Um, and, I, and I like that whole like last sequence of all the losers getting their final fight with him. That was really cool. I liked how Bev gave uh, Eddie the, the, the spike. And was yeah. like, this kills monsters. Like, <laughs> like, the line was a little cringy but, and just poorly delivered. It's, it's hard to see Jessica Chastain. She's the only one who really stuck out to me as like not the actress who played her as a kid because... I fucking watched Sharp Objects, and they had Amy Adams play that actress as an adult. And it's like, oh, this looks so much more yeah, accurate. Definitely. But Jessica Chastain's like one of my favorite actresses, so I was like, this is the one time I'll look past it, you know? And like, like I thought she was okay. Like, she was good enough for me to where I didn't really care. But I think visually she was the most distant from the original actress. I also didn't like that Eddie never got resolution for marrying the same person as his mom, like as if that wasn't a character flaw, you know? Yeah. I mean, like, he over that that was handled better in the miniseries. Yeah, I felt. I mean, this like that was weird. He kind of overcomes his fear, and is able like, to like fight <sighs> the monster in the end, and gets to have like the big sex. Yeah, I moment. guess. The I keep going back and forth. It's like with um robin and stranger things like i keep going back and forth on the reveal like it the bill Hader, like richie being gay thing like i'm fine with it i'm like i think it was like i think it was cool how much like lgbtq representation there is in this movie right like i think that's awesome that this is one of the biggest blockbusters of 2019 obviously and it has that kind of shit just like full in your face like this is like that was really cool but I felt like it was like Andy Muschietti being scared to let Richie and Eddie be best friends. You know, like, I feel like it's just as impactful. It was so well directed that I feel like if Richie was straight and lost his best friend in Eddie, that he had that friendship robbed from him, right? By leaving Derry. I feel like it would have been just as impactful, if not more, 
because it would have been less shoehorned feeling. Right, especially me. when we already have that scene in the beginning of the movie where we see Derry, you know, is not but, yeah, accepting nothing, of any kind if of... If the seed was planted in It Chapter 1 or any of the child flashbacks in this movie, I think it would be different. Yeah, totally. But that seed was never planted. It felt just, like, rushed. It didn't feel developed. Yeah. And I think that was an issue with me. I mean, I agree. I, I also mean, just... It just feel, it. It feels kind of, like, out of place, like a lot of things do in this movie. Where yeah, it, it's like you know, it's this is a re- weird analogy for it, but it's like you you walk the same route to your car every day, right? Mm-hmm. And so just imagine it like this: so you're walking the same route to your car every day. Like I'm walking the same hundred feet to my car every morning, and there's a sidewalk, and in the sidewalk, there's a seed that falls off a tree, and then it grows a little bit, and every day I notice it's a little bit bigger, and then it finally like. The second it, before it blooms into a flower, someone pulls it out because it's they think it's a weed, right? Okay. I'm going to be very upset about that. But, like, the way it is in this movie, it's like uh, the same, same situation, but instead of parking on the left side of the street, I parked on the right side of the street this time. And two days in a row, I do this. And then, like, the first day, there's a full-bloomed flower there. And then the second day, it's gone. Like, someone picked the flower. It's like, I will be like, oh, damn, they picked that flower. But I won't be as devastated as I would be as if I watched this flower bloom from seed to flower, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, that's what I kind of felt like about it. Because it's like, that that seed was never planted for Richie's character. Like, it was just a... a like the whole thing with him being gay isn't shown until halfway through the movie, the second movie out of two movies that are both too long, you know? Right. I just feel like it was handled poorly and it just all feeds into the fact that this movie feels like it was made by a committee to me more than the first one was. Like the first one felt like a complete package, whereas this one felt like Andy Muschietti made a movie and then Warner Brothers came in and was like, no, our studies show that we need this, this, and this. And then he had to go back and do it. Yeah, I mean, it for sure feels really corporate. I mean, like you were saying, it feels like they had a movie and then they went back and said, well, we have to put in these jokes and we have to do all this stuff to make it more digestible and whatever for mass audiences and... Really, it takes away from it. I mean, it's not scary. Like, there were no scenes that really had any, like, real great tension other than, like, that intro scene I can think of off the top of my head. Uh, Like, certain characters' whole plots could have been cut out. Like, I think adult Bowers could have just not been in the movie. We could have just assumed that he died when he fell down the well. You never would have had to... Yeah, you never would have had to put the bandage over uh, James Ransom's face, and it would have looked much better at the end yeah i mean there's just there's a there's stuff i like in the movie and there's stuff i really don't like in the movie it's a really mixed bag it's just bloated yeah like, and it's I feel way like too long use, oh God. dude we didn't even talk about the cgi how fucking terrible <laughs> the cgi was and you know how in it chapter one when the leper comes up for eddie it's very clear it's not very clearly actually it's touched up by cgi like, it was a practical suit on Javier Botet, right. who was just uh, a or star. It was a- and, um, actually a practical actor with CGI It was a practical touches. actor touched up by CGI. Yeah. And he, he was in Scary Stories of Hell in the Dark. That was what I was thinking of. 
This time around, they didn't do any touch-up on it. It was just the suit, and it looked terrible. Like, it, the suit looked far worse in this movie to me than it did in It Chapter 1. And on top of that, I understand why they had to do this, so it kind of feels unfair to come down on them about it, but they set a lot of the kid flashback scenes in this movie during the moment uh, when they get in a fight in the first movie, after they encounter Pennywise the first time together and things go don't go the way they should, right? Yeah. They had to CGI the kids to make them look young. Right, they had to it's de-age them. It's especially noticeable with uh, Richie and Ben. Do you notice it with Ben? I noticed. I, it I didn't really notice it with ben. ben. I mean, I noticed it with Richie the most because his face was like so soft. Oh yeah, like it was like yeah, soft. Soft is the perfect word for it. Right. And they did you notice that they like tuned up a lot of their voices? They like pitched up Richie's voice especially. Yeah, I mean all that stuff it's just was like. like like, I feel like this movie is really not going to age very well just because of stuff like that where there's some CGI in the movie that doesn't look very good. Uh, they de-age the <sighs> yeah. actors and it doesn't look great. Uh, like, just those weird technical things that, you know, I assume it'll get better in 10 years, but right now and budget constraints and all that, some of it just ended up coming out really not great and it's not <laughs> going to get any better as the years go by. So I think this one is definitely going to age far worse than the first one. Yeah, I just watched the first one in 4K. So like all the imperfections show in 4K. That movie holds up. And people complained about CGI in the first movie, but there's very little CGI in the first movie. There's a little bit of it for sure, but no, it's not egregious in any way. It it was nowhere near the level I feared it would be knowing that Andy Muschietti was working on it after Mama, which is like all CGI. The movie is just riddled with it. This movie it chapter two felt like a it felt like what i feared it chapter one would be knowing any machete was working on it and i just don't understand why it was like that because so much of it was either a repeat of what we saw in it chapter one or completely new and it's frustrating because they had so much time to get it right like you knew you were gonna get a sequel why didn't you film the kid scenes when you filmed the first movie. Right, just filmed you know, it at the like, same time. Like, I'm sure he didn't take a then, huge break between, you know, this one and, and the last one. And the scene in the drugstore in the new one when, like, the guy's like, oh, it could be cancer. It's like, that's a scary moment. But, like, he was so comically overmade up that it's like, you're not even human anymore. Yeah. You know, and that wasn't Pennywise. It's, like, shown because his daughter's in the store. It's just, like played for jokes and then Andy Muschietti was in the background he put himself in the background of that shot he looks directly into the camera it's like why are you undercutting so (laughs) many scenes with humor stop it's like this is an r-rated horror movie and it's one thing if it chapter one had the same tone but it doesn't it chapter one is played for horror whenever it can be there's some funny moments in there like the you know when when they go to Ben's house and he shows them all the maps on his wall right, and then they and turn around the new, the, the the new kids on the block that's great it's a callback to another moment in the movie it's funny because it's embarrassing for him and then in this movie for s- no fucking reason i was going to say for some reason but there is literally no reason when eddie is faced with his greatest fear which is germs he's vomited on by a leper They play a random ass song that's not by the new kids on the block for six seconds with zero context whatsoever. It's like, why did you do that? 
It's not funny. It's just stupid. I, it's just frust. There's so many frustrating moments in this movie. It's, it sucks because it is so close to being a, a like a phenomenal movie. Like is so close to being an Oscar worthy horror movie. Like this could be how we look back on Halloween right now. I feel like this could easily be that with just one more editing pass where someone slaps Andy Muschietti in the face and is like, dude, like why the fuck are you undercutting every moment you created like you did this you created these terrifying scenes and you're undercutting them with humor like we bitch about the people who complain all the time about halloween 2018 having humor the banh mi sandwich scene is terrible but like the kid cutting his toenails that kid is great it fits into the movie none of the humor in it chapter two fits outside of what richie is doing it's like why why did you do this you know it's just frustrating i've been sitting on this for weeks so i'll be like it's all coming out now, but, like, I just don't know, man. Like, I'm, it's disappointing. It's just disappointing to have someone who's known for horror screwing up so hard on the on the one aspect that matters. Yeah. I you mean, it, it really... It was more of an action movie than anything. It's like, why? you? If it's rated PG-13, I get it. But it's not, and it's a sequel to an R-rated movie. So just lay in, like, be what you are, you know? Like, stop trying to be something else. It's like, Marvel movies aren't movies. They're products. Like, the, the, the parts everyone remembers from Marvel movies aren't directed by the directors who are attached to them. They're directed by a committee. Like, the action scenes are already filmed by the time the director comes onto the movie. And that's like that. That's what this movie kind of felt like to me. And I don't want that. You know, I want like it is an epic story on its own. It was written by one guy. It was written by Stephen King, hopped up on fucking cocaine. <laughs> you know, like he wrote that. Do it justice. Like, don't turn this into some fucking like Marvel movie, it's, which is exactly what it felt like. Yeah. You know, it just felt like their take on a superhero movie. And I guarantee you, this movie is projected to make $200 million this weekend. There's no way we don't get an It 3 that's a prequel with Pennywise being like a circus guy or like a gangster, you know? Yeah, I like think that. I forget who wrote about it, but I thought I saw something where uh, either Andy Muschietti or Gary Doberman said something like uh, Pennywise's stories aren't haven't all been told yet or something, so... Yeah, you know. I trust Gary Doberman with that movie. After seeing Annabelle Comes Home, I trust him wholeheartedly to direct a scary movie with heart, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just a shame this one kind of fell flat when it should have been, you know, a little bit stronger conclusion with the setup. But, I mean, I think we all kind of knew doing the adult half of the book is a lot harder than doing the child half, so, you know... It's just an issue of... I think it comes down to direction. Yeah. Direction, tone. And, edi- and editing. Editing. I mean, there's a lot of stuff you can like say the, about the, this. The editing... I guess I have insight on this that others don't, but like the editing was technically great. Like The editor did a great job. The director obviously stuck his hands in the the editing soup you know and Mm -hmm. the editors had to do that it's it's upsetting it's it's honestly like i i know that we will see a cut of this movie eventually that is great 
because there is a there is a great movie in it which is why it's so frustrating you know like right it's on the verge of being a four four and a half star movie but it's like being dragged back by all these little cuts that make it a three three and a half star movie right when it doesn't need to be it's like the difference between that gags the clown movie like that's a three and a half star movie punching outside of its weight so i'm more inclined to give it a four stars you know but mm-hmm. this is a four and a half star movie getting pulled back by someone outside of its weight class you right. know like it's, just, it's frustrating because it's we never get blockbuster horror movies like this so when they come out and they shit the bed this hard in ways that it doesn't have to at all it's just like why look why do why is it why is it happening like this you know yeah definitely a frustrating movie to say the least i mean a a mixed bag some things are good some things are bad but it uh, it definitely had potential to be better than what the final product was yeah so on letterboxd i gave it chapter two a three and a half out of five what did you give it? Yeah, I'd say that's probably a fair score. I'm going to see it again tomorrow, so maybe next week I'll have some new info to share. But like, New insights about it. I've been thinking about this for like two and a half weeks now, so <laughs> like, I don't think that's going to change. But uh, it's disappointing in the sense that it succeeded, but it also it failed in ways that I wasn't expecting. So that's why it's disappointing. But in every everything I like was scared about, like Gary Doberman's script, like that was great. He did a Gary Doberman deserves all the accolades for his script. Like this is easily one of his best scripts, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. I thought that the interactions were fun and, um, you know, it was well written and, I mean, really just some some weird. Remember we were talking about uh, La Llorona and we were like, yeah, I hope Gary Doberman like was you know, pushing this shit off to the side so you can make a good it script. Right. Do you feel like that was the case? Yeah, I I think that is true. After I do too. I mean I think this movie just had so much that it had to do that it really took a lot of time to write it. And so The broad strokes are great. Like yeah. the broad strokes he covered completely Yeah, completely. I mean from like a I didn't thousand foot up it's an excellent movie. It's just it gets bogged down in yeah. little details. I didn't realize how little they covered in the um, first movie. I thought that was like a big chunk of the book, but it's very clear that they only covered about like 20% of the book and then saved 80% for the sequel, which like was, seems doomed to fail. Yeah, especially when the sequel is the adult half, which is just unanimously considered the weaker half of the book. So do you think this the adult half of the movie is better than the adult half of the book? Uh, I don't know. It's tough to say. I mean, the book definitely has, you know, just because of the medium that it's in, it has more time to, like, let you stew in the characters and, like, kind of see their inner monologues and what's going on. But, like, I I think this one definitely ends a lot cleaner. I think that the book has, like, a lot of weird stuff at the very end. And I think that they got the main points of all the adults across in this movie as good as they do in the books, but without all the like extra weird bullshit in the endings. So 
in terms of like getting the characters right, I think the movie probably did a better job than the books did. Of like conveying the adults and their motives without getting yeah. bogged down. I'm glad they cut out the whole like kid sex thing because the shit that they like put in this movie, I wouldn't be surprised if I saw it. You know, like I can't, once I saw the way they were handling the Native American subplot, I was like, oh, they're probably gonna do the thing where Bev fucks everyone. You know, like <laughs> I, I wouldn't put it past them, but I'm glad they kept that out. I really, especially like the scene where Bev uh, is leaving with her and her husband kind of stops her. That was terrifying. Yeah, I mean, there's a whole extra subplot with him in the books that they didn't get to right and they also didn't get to the one with uh bill's wife right right and those kind of like bleed together yeah they kind of got rid of all those subplots and with eddie's mom like we were saying is there anything with bill or ben they forgot i mean ben's basically all covered i mean he's a you know Ah, gets bullied as a kid becomes a successful adult and then he shows back up and gets with beverly i wish they uh all that. knowing how hard the guy who played stan as an adult got dicked in the swamp thing show just now i wish that they changed that and had him be part of it and kind of like i mean they did the best it. that they, they could they tried with to that. justify suicide which is just yeah. like come on man like yeah i mean they try to like throw that hail mary pass at the end of the movie where he's like oh, God, i was a loser yeah. the whole time because I killed I took myself. myself off the board. It's like, yeah. what? Like, no, dude. Suicide <laughs> is not the answer. Come on. Like, let him overcome his fear. It's, like, unreal. I don't, I just don't know. It's like, they, why, why, why? Like, just why? You cast a great actor to play him, too. Like, that guy's awesome. He's, he's going to have a great career. If the Swamp Thing movie happens, he's supposed to play the Swamp Thing again. I think he'll do a great job. It's just, it's frustrating. It's just, there's so many frustrating things about this movie. I don't know. I'm seeing it again tomorrow. We'll, we'll, I mean, we probably won't talk about it next week since we've talked about it for fucking 50 minutes at this point, but. But there you go. It warrants, it warrants this discussion because for every bad thing, there's two good things, you know? Yeah. It's, I mean, I think everyone should see it. Obviously, I think. If you've seen the first chapter one, I think you should go see chapter two. But, um, I mean, I wouldn't oh, go in to. with really high expectations of it being better than the first chapter or, you know, that it's not going to be messy. Yeah. So, uh, we'll see you guys next week if you're still here after listening to this. <laughs> uh, you should follow George on Twitter at George Frizzard. I feel like George would actually use social media if he, like, had a following. So let's hook him up. Um, I'm at Jimmy Champagne. I don't know. You got anything else to say? No, but uh, we'll have our comprehensive review of Halloween Horror Nights next week. Oh, yeah, shit. It's going to be fun. (laughs) All right, bye.